Hello, and welcome to episode two of Tales from the Bent Tree Saloon. It's great to be back with you all again today. Um, today we're going to have a little fun with some stories uh, that date back into the 70s, uh, specifically 73 and 74 time frame when I was around 10 and 11 years old. Um, I had mentioned in our first episode that at some point um, the vacant lot that was next door to our place on the lake in Chisago um, had been bought and this big family moved in there. I call them the Cooks. Um, the Cooks had mom and dad and 14 kids. Um, I think at the time that we lived there, a couple of the older kids had already gotten grown and, and out, but you know, it's a life changing thing when somebody with, with uh, a family of 15 or 16 moves in next door to you. And I mean, literally right next door, like we weren't a mile apart or anything. They were, they were right next door and good people. I said that in the episode too. Um, I'm sorry, in episode one. And, uh, you know, it really was a game changer for, for us in our time at the lake, which wasn't all that long. We moved to the lake in 71, and, and I left and moved to Colorado in 1979, so about eight years at the lake. Um, but, you know, during that eight-year time frame, you know, we had a, we had a lot of fun with those people. Um, <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what... Mr. Cook did. I know what Mrs. Cook was a professional mom and she was damn good at it. Um, uh, there were times when my parents had, um, and we'll talk about this later, but when my parents weren't around when Mrs. Cook took care of us and, and she was a damn fine lady and nothing but kudos go out to her for the care that she showed us. Um, so I can't remember what Mr. Cook did for a living. I think he worked for 3M or, or something like that. And, but anyway, they, they had a, their house that they built was really nice. It was a, it was a A-frame style, like a two-story A-frame style with a basement. I looked down over the lake. We we're up on a hill and, uh, had a wraparound deck that you could sit out on or walk out on and, and, uh, and look out at the lake. And he had, uh, I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember one of these things, but I think they were called a beer meister. And it was just, you know, it was a, it was a keep it cold, keep it uh, charged uh, keg, kegelator, kegenator, um, where they kept their beer. And I remember one long after they moved in, we was all out in front playing football, um, you know, obviously with that number of kids, it's pretty easy to get a game together. Like, it was just me and like nine or ten of them and whoever else in the neighborhood that wanted to play. And and we played and we got all done. And I can't remember how old I was. I think I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And um, we got done playing football and, and had worked up quite a sweat. And one of the older boys said, hey, let's go on the deck and have a beer. And so we all went up there. And sure enough, there was a kegnator sitting out there. And they just grab a cup and... And uh, I grab a cup and you fill it up and you have yourself a cold beer after a football game at age 11. And uh, nobody's really saw anything wrong with that. My mom kind of did. I'm pretty sure she wasn't real happy, but my dad didn't think too much of it. And I think at the end of the day, the order 
the order of the day was, you know, don't abuse this, obviously, and, and, uh, and you'll be fine. But I just thought it was kind of humorous that we, we could just grab a cold beer after playing football when you're 11 years old. I think that's kind of funny. Um, and nothing wrong with it either. So um, over the years, you know, the, the, the cooks had, had their things going on, and we had ours, and, and we interacted with them quite nicely. And like I said in episode one, you know, there are times when there's challenges and, and there were times when there weren't. And a lot of times we just had us a good old time with them. And um, it made for some really fun stuff that you probably couldn't do, you know, if you didn't have them living next door. So we could have a hockey game and play for hours, literally, on the street or down on the, on the lake. Um, we could literally play hockey for hours and hours and hours. And, and a full game of five on five and, and – we. I, we didn't need anybody's help. It was just the cooks and I. Um, so, you know, we did a lot of that. We we played a lot of games. We spent a ton of time outside running around acting stupid like kids do. And and uh, it was rural. So, um, you know, there wasn't any of the pressure from being in the city or anything like that. So we were kind of free to do what we wanted to do. We played a lot of this game called Kick the Can. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. But um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, hide and seek um so there's a can literally a can that you put out on the ground and and somebody gets picked to be the keeper of the can and he has to close his eyes and count to 100 or whatever and everybody gets to run all wherever they want i mean we're wide open we had we had fields and cornfields and wheat um not wheat but uh but hay fields and and we could we had all kinds of acres to run around and hide and then um if he spotted you and he went back and put his foot on the can, he or she, because a lot of the girls played too, um, and he'd say, you know, I spy you so-and-so, and, and, I, and, and then you're done, so you got to come sit there and help him protect the can. And the thing at the end of the day is somebody's got to break free um, and actually kick that can to free all the prisoners that he's accumulated. Um, and it was a, God, we'd played that game for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. We'd play it till dark, sometimes after dark. And, uh, you know, with the Cook family next door, that made it pretty easy to have a pretty good game with that. If it was just us, it had just been me and my two sisters, who I didn't really mention in the first episode, and, and I probably should have, but I didn't. But um, I have two sisters. They're great people. They're, um, they're wonderful people. And, and we went through a lot growing up together out there at the lake, and, and they're both younger than me. So I'm the oldest of three, and, uh, and their name's are Dee and, and Darcy, and, um, and they, like I said, wonderful people, and we, we just had us a ball out there, and um, so enough about, about the cooks, we'll sprinkle them in here and there as we go along. Um, there was another kid in the neighborhood that was kind of what I would consider to be, um, he was an acquaintance, he lived two houses, three houses down the street, so he was a friend, actually. Um, I'll just call him Mikey for lack of a better term, but Mikey, he had, he, he was an instigator of sorts. He was a year younger than me, I think maybe a year or two and, uh, was a very curious kid. And he, he always had a kind of a knack for, um, a knack for lack of a better term, I guess, wanting to experiment with stuff. Um, a lot of times that got us in a lot of trouble. I remember a time when, um, when Mikey had gotten uh, a wrist rocket, 
Uh, anybody doesn't know what that is, it's like a slingshot, only it's a little bit better. And he shot a rock through neighbor's lamppost light. And uh, of course, I was with him, so I got in as much trouble as he did, only I didn't shoot it, he did. Um, but so, Mikey, he was a curious feller. And uh, there was a, a hayfield directly. Like, if you came out our front driveway and went, walked across the street, you'd walk out into this hayfield. And I want to say it was probably, I don't know, 14, 15 acres of hay. Might have been less, might have been more. I don't know. It wasn't huge, but um, there was a school bus driver named Orn Carlson. He was a ornery old cuss. His name was right on the money, Orn Carlson. And uh, old Mr. Carlson also was the... Uh, farmer who hayed that pasture across the street and i remember mikey and i one day we were sitting there looking at the tractor and the hay cutter and the he had the baling machine behind it and and the hay wagon and for some reason mikey and i decided it would be a good idea to find a screwdriver and open up one of the doors on this hay baling machine and lo and behold inside if we didn't find us a, <laughs> a great big giant spool of twine which back in the day they they used to um to hold the square bales together so this is a square baling machine and so mikey and i took it upon ourselves to remove that roll of twine from the <laughs> from the hay baler and uh, winded around every damn thing we could find inside the engine compartment and the hay baling compartment and the pulleys and the arms and all the levers and everything that moved and made hay bales. I don't know. I was 10 or 11 years old. I guess I was 11 then. I, I don't know what we were doing. But, but anyway, um, you know, we thought it'd be kind of, <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and, and we knew that Mr. Carlson would be by in the afternoon and he'd do his afternoon run and cut some of that pasture and pop some bales out well he hooked up that bale machine to that tractor and he took off and put the pto in drive and it made the god dangest sound you ever did hear and it just shot pieces and parts and string and shit everywhere and i think we pretty well screwed it up and uh we were hiding like in my front yard behind a tree like he couldn't see us and so he immediately walked over and and uh had a few choice words for us as he was on his way to the front door and he got my mom and he went and knocked on Mrs. Uh, Mikey's mom's door and, and got her. And there was a big conversation to be had. And um, we had ended up hiding up in a tree. And uh, so when they came back, they hauled us down from the tree and proceeded to announce what our punishment was going to be. Now, I'm pretty glad at this point in time that neither Mikey's dad or my dad were involved in the punishment phase of this of this escapade because it probably would have been worse than it was but I, let me tell you this um back in the back in those days a square hay bale weighed probably 60 pounds I'm not sure I think they weighed about 60 pounds and uh, Mikey was about nine or ten maybe nine he didn't weigh 50 pounds, I don't think. He might have weighed 60 pounds. He might have weighed 80 pounds. I don't know. No, he didn't weigh 80 pounds. I know that. And I was pretty little myself. So between Mikey and I, you know, uh, for us to throw bales on a wagon um, would have been a pretty severe task. And um, Mr. Carlson 
uh, took quite pleasure in the fact that he made us get on the back of that hay wagon and when those bales shot out and landed on the wagon we had to load them up and straighten them up and get them stacked and between Mike and I we could hardly even lift the damn things but um, but in the end it uh, was suitable punishment. Now what we didn't know was uh, Mikey and I didn't know was that Orrin Carlson had a lot more hay pastures than that 15 acres across the street. We ended up working for that son of a bitch all summer long for free. <laughs> and I know I about broke everything in my body with throwing them hay bales for that month and a half or whatever it was. But, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there, and that is, you know, I guess I learned it and the hard way is, you know, you just can't mess with other people's stuff. And we did. And fortunately it was just twine that we wrapped inside there and nothing really broke he just had to restring it so that it would you know string up the bales and so it didn't do as much damage as probably we thought it would do but when you're 11 you're stupid as hell anyway so you don't know better um so mikey uh that was kind of mikey's idea we got the screwdriver from his dad's camper trailer and um and I don't know why I went along with it. I don't, I don't know why I went along with half the shit that Mikey cooked up in his head, but I did. And I, even though I was a little bit older, um, you know, we just did dumb things that kids do. Um, so I, it wasn't long after that. It might have been the following summer, I think, that um, I'm going to take a sip here real quick. Um, Mikey had read somewhere that a magnifying glass could start a fire and of course we'd never done it and so his mom was a teacher at the elementary school across the street and she was science she, her, she was a fifth grade teacher and uh, in fifth grade they introduced you to science and she had all this stuff and she had magnifying glasses in her classroom so I told you all before that it was pretty easy to get into that school anytime you wanted to that wasn't very secure and so Mike and I went over there and even though it was summertime, was able to get in and and uh, find us uh, a magnifying glass, and and we went in the pasture across the street there, and uh, I think the intent was we were going to find an ant hill and burn some ants with the magnifying glass, which I think normal kids would do, but for some reason um, that wasn't good enough, and and Mikey used that magnifying glass and he put some bits of straw together into a little pile and lo and behold with the wind that was blowing pretty heavy from the south that day and the dry conditions and it being late summertime um <laughs> there was a fire <laughs> and, and it was big and it spread really quick and so we ran like hell obviously and i ran actually home and uh, and told my dad that he needed to call the fire department. And he said, well, we don't need to call the damn fire department. And I said, look, and he went around the corner of the house and looked and he said, oh shit, we need to call the fire department. And sure as hell, they called the fire department and um, half of that pasture burnt down and and uh, uh, there was a there was a tail whipping for that one. I, and I didn't light it, but you know, I didn't stop it either. So I guess I'm just as guilty as the next guy. And, uh, and so with, <laughs> with, with Mikey, there was never a dull moment. Um, uh, so that leads me to what I'm, what I'll call the title of today's episode. Today's episode is actually titled the corn cob incident and don't take that the wrong way, people, please. Cause it's not what you think. Um, there was a cornfield 
catty quarter from our house that bordered up against a busy highway, Highway 8, not Highway 8, I can't remember what highway it was. It might have been Highway 8. Whatever highway ran into town. And uh, it was a two-lane highway. And this would have been probably about late, mid to late August, right before we went back to school. And the corn was full height with the tassels and the, and the ears were, were all mature. And there was a whole bunch of us that used to run around together. Now, remember, this is a little town. Like, this isn't a big city or anything. So we ran around with kids of all different ages because it's just the nature of the beast, right? So there was kids that was a year or two older than me, and there was kids that was a year or two younger than me. And we all kind of ran around in a pack, and we kind of actually were a pack, and we kind of acted like idiots most of the time. So one day somebody had this great idea that we should go hide in a cornfield um, far enough back from the road where we could not be seen, but close enough to the road where we could lob ears of corn out at cars that we heard coming. Now, you couldn't see them, but you could hear them. And so, <laughs> so you'd take a, a, a corn cob and you'd listen for the car coming. And then there was probably, well, who was all out there? It was, like, it was like me and Lenny and Bobby and uh, who else was there? Probably Mikey was out there and Hans was out there and and uh, Eric was out there, and uh, there was probably seven or eight of us, and we'd be listening for the cars coming, we'd just chuck these ears of corn up over the top and hoping we'd hear them hit something, which is really stupid. I don't know why now. We thought that was a great idea. But sure as shit, somebody lobbed one up over the top, and there was a big, like, sound like a broken, you know, somebody broke a glass, and there was a screech of tires. Next thing you know, there was a cop. Now, it was a local, the local policeman. We only we didn't have, I think, two in the whole town. Uh, but it was Larry. And <laughs> Larry was hauling ass through the cornfield. And he was screaming at, like, I'm going to get you little bastards. And <laughs> we all took off running. Well, he got on one of, one of them kids' tail. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Eric. Probably Bobby. I don't know. Somebody that lived north of us, and he was headed, like, home, which would about been about seven or eight blocks north. Um, and he ran out the back end of the cornfield, and he got caught by this cop. And he had taken his shirt off and was trying to hide and play stupid, and he got caught. Well, he ratted. He, I think he tried to rat everybody out. So the next thing I know is um, there's a police car in the neighbors in the cook's driveway, and... Uh, and and one of them had so they had rounded up everybody that 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 Bobby ratted and I'm I'm proud to say that either he forgot I was there or he took it easy on me that day because they never came and got me but they took all my friends and they drove them like this 10 mile trip over to Center City Minnesota where the county seat and courthouse was and they put all these little kids on I'm talking like from age 12 to 9 to 12 and they put them in the county jail and called their parents and made their parents come down and get them. And I, was, I just laughed my ass off because, I, A, I didn't have to be one of them, and, but, B, it was pretty funny. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting perspective that, you know, you're, you're going to jail at age 12. And I, I, by rights, I should have been right there with them guys, and, and for whatever reason, they never came and got me. So I didn't have to deal with that, and I'm sure I would have got a pretty good butt whipping if I did. So... Um, so that's the corn cob incident, and and at the end of the day, I could probably tell you. I will. We'll get to all this as we go along, but I could probably tell you guys a thousand stories similar to to these that um, 
Uh, like, uh, so I'll end it with this. There's, <laughs> there was a time when, <laughs> when my friend Eric and I, we thought we were going to get into, um, so th- we lived on a lake and there was a, uh, there was a time when, um, spearfishing for carp was kind of a, a thing. I don't know if it still is or not, but so we, we encouraged our parents to buy us these frog spears and, uh, they were just a, they were just the the spearhead and and took a old broom handle out of the garage and and mounted the spearhead in the broom handle and drilled a hole and put a rope in there and decided it would be a great idea um to go out and spear some carp well they would have um carp would have their their uh spawning season and they were usually the first ones after the ice went off the lake to go have their <laughs> to go to go have their spawning season. So the water was typically still really really cold. Like at, at on the high side, it would have been low fifties. On the low side, it would have been in the upper forties. And uh, and we had this canoe, this big old fiberglass canoe. And Mikey and I went out there. Not Mikey, Eric and I went out there with our with our uh, carp spears. And thought it'd be a hell of a day if we could, you know, sneak up on a raft of these carp all huddled up together doing their thing. And we found one and we got so excited that we were going to throw our spears in the water that we both ran to, well, just walked, stepped to the same side of the canoe and the son bitch went right over and everything we had in it went down in the, in the lake and we're out there and it was cold. Let me tell you, you talk about the shrivel factor. <laughs> it was it was cold as hell and we were old enough and had had a little bit of like canoe training from like uh our parents and and the scouts and all that stuff that um we were able to ride the canoe and get it to a spot where we could get it towards shore and tip it over and get the water out and but let me tell you when it's like uh early may like late April, early May, and the water temperature is that cold, it doesn't take long for you to start to worry about the fact that you might not make it because of hypothermia. So we paddled that boat back to the house and ran up inside and took all our shit off and got in the shower and cleaned up and got warm again. And But that's a lesson learned right there is um, a canoe will tip over faster than anything you've ever seen in your life. So... Um, so once again, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to uh, chat with you folks. Um, uh, I really do. Um, we'll have more stories to come here in the future. And uh, and so that's the end of episode two from uh, Tales from the Bent Tree Saloon. Appreciate you all.